right, we're live. And uh, thanks, Rob. Bathe, and I said that right, bathe, right? Yep, absolutely. With Folly Coffee. And uh, I, I really appreciate you being here. I know <clears throat> recently we just did a podcast with your mom's company, Logo Jojo, and um, you're kind of the engine, the product behind that. And uh, it's it's been cool to get to know you guys. And so I, I you, you said, I, I asked you just a second of how you start your podcast and say, let's get it brewing. So let's get it brewing. Absolutely. That's what I like to hear. You got to do the cheesy radio announcer voice. Let's get it brewing. <laughs> Let's get it brewing. And uh, and I really like your intro music. Did you have somebody do? And I'm mentioning, so if anybody's listening to this, I, I'm mentioning the Folly Coffee podcast. So Rob Bave, owner of Folly Coffee, has a podcast called the Folly Coffee Podcast. And I was listening to a few episodes. So if anybody's listening, that's what I'm referencing. Yeah, my buddy Kai's a really talented musician. And so before I started the podcast, I was like, everyone I listen to has a cool intro. So if I'm going to even seem semi-legit, I got to have like pretty solid intro and so i texted him and i was like i don't know just something like guitar building up and then somebody yelling folly coffee podcast and <laughs> i didn't i didn't hear from him for like 10 minutes and i was like oh he must be busy and then he sends me that finished audio file he's like something like this and i was like no exactly like that <laughs> <laughs> that's great no you know what's funny about that is my company goodson clothing and supply it was a similar kind of i had a friend that developed the brand and it was a similar kind of thing one night after um, I, I worked with my dad for a, a long time and decided I was going to leave and start my own company. And one night he just sent me over a logo and he said, because we used to work out, I think it was Tuesday and Thursday mornings and um, kind of talked about what I wanted to do. And then one night he just shot me this logo and he's like, have you ever seen this company? And, I, and he totally got me. I was like, oh no, somebody's doing exactly what I want to do. And yeah, it turned out he had created it for me. So it was nice. kind of cool. Um, well, so one of the things I want to start out with is like, this is the first podcast that I've done that will not be with a customer. So every other, this is episode, I think six for me. I think we just talked about the fact that you're on almost 80. And um, one of the things that I admire, I, I know we don't know each other well, and I've known you, you know, had interaction with you just a few times, but from a distance, and, and I just admire just kind of everything that you're doing to build the brand around Folly Coffee. And um, this will be the first time I'm talking to somebody who's not a customer but I think it's an important one for me to branch out with my podcast because I really the objective of my podcast is to explore how to build great, build great brands. We're trying to do that. We try to help our customers do that primarily through branded clothing and promotional supplies. And I think you're doing that. And so this will be a really I, I'm excited about it because I'm, I'm really I, as I mentioned to you earlier, I was listening to your episode way back when when you were talking about how to build an Instagram following. And um, so I think there's a lot that I'm going to be able to learn here about what you've done with Folly. Absolutely. Um, so also we got weather outside that you're probably pretty familiar with. So yeah, I, I was going to say, I, I had a shipment coming in from Nashville that they said it's going to be two weeks late. And I said, why? They said it's, <laughs> it's snowed. And I go, yeah. And <laughs> <laughs> exactly. That's like, that's normal every day in Minnesota, man. Yeah. And, I was going to uh, say, it should be noticed that as I look outside of Minnesota, it's just, it, I think it's always just kind of snowing. It's ever not snowing unless it hasn't snowed for two weeks because it got too cold. It got down to negative 20 on average yeah. for about a week. And as every Minnesotan knows, that's actually too cold for snow. Right. And well, and so it seems like maybe what happened is that you're getting Canada because everything pushed south because Texas is pretty much frozen over right now. So that's like the equivalent of hell being frozen over, I guess. Yeah. By the way, Folly Coffee in the cup, the espresso. Cheers. So, okay. So you're, you're born and raised in Minnesota, right? Yeah. Just west of Minneapolis in a, a city called Plymouth. Got it. And so obviously... I went back and I was looking through. You were with Boston Beer Company before yep. you started Folly Coffee. Is that right? 
Yeah, right out of college, I was uh, with Boston Beer Company for a total of four years doing sales. And so I was in uh, north of Chicago for two years doing feet on the street sales, hitting 10 to 12 restaurants, bars, liquor stores, grocery stores, selling their entire portfolio, which is Sam Adams, Angry Orchard, Twisted Tea. And now Truly is actually their biggest brand after really? the hard seltzer explosion. Um, and then Southern Illinois for a year doing distributor management and like key account sales. And then I was in St. Louis for one year doing uh, training a couple sales reps and doing distributor management. In the Eastern so you, li- you lived in those other places? You, you yeah, moved there? Yeah, so, yeah, lived in Chicago for two years, Champaign, Illinois for a year, and then St. Louis for a year before moving back to start Folly. So what made you leave Boston Beer Company to kind of do your own thing? Yeah, I was a massive beer nerd at Sam Adams. I already had a growing interest in craft beer before going to Boston Beer, and I knew I wanted to do sales or marketing out of college. And so somebody gave me really good advice. Hey, if you're going to do one or the other, start with sales and just sell anything. And I already had this interest in craft beer, and I ended up finding Boston Beer Company in a a sales role, and they had an incredible training program. And part of that training program was literally beer training. So I'm learning how to taste effectively, how to smell aromas effectively, how to evaluate beers based on appearance, smell, sight, all this different, uh, you know, taste, obviously. And I just became obsessed with that part of the job. And so I got my uh, level one beer server, level two Cicerone, which is like the beer equivalent of sommelier. And then I was going for my level three. And so I developed this reputation within the, the company as like the beer nerd within a beer company. Uh, and so there's a small group of us that kind of were in this nerdy group. And one of those people was like, how are you into this high end beer? You're pairing it with food and your selection in coffee sucks. Like you're drinking crap coffee. And I was like, I actually have no idea what you mean. The thought had never even occurred to me. And he pointed me towards, he wrote me a list of roasters and said, here's where you should check out. And the first one on the list, some coffee in St. Louis, I walked in. And that first cup I had just instantly, it was like, what is going on with this? It's a flavor I'd never really experienced. This particular cup was a naturally processed Ethiopian Yirgacheff. It was like blueberry aroma, like, like full bodied, but like not bitter at all. And it had this, this fermenty quality that was like really cool and unique. And fortunately, the, the cafe was empty. And so I ended up talking to the barista for like an hour about it and just instant obsession that all my free time, I was trying to find new roasters, new coffees. And I started traveling around the country to try to find different coffee scenes and what's everybody doing across the country. So this was just a hobby to start. It was just something you were yeah. doing because you were just personally interested. Yeah, literally just on the weekends or like obviously with a sales job, you're driving around all the time. So whatever territory I'm in before I start my day, I'm going, is there a roaster nearby? Is there who serves the best cup of coffee and starting to just really enjoy it? And it wasn't until but at this point, there was no thought of a business. This was just like this is a brand new world. I never knew about. Yeah, I just loved it. And it was a trip out to Seattle that changed my perspective on that there it was the first time I ever thought of it potentially being a business because I went out there expecting it to be everything Starbucks you know I expected everybody to have nothing but hometown pride for Starbucks because it's their hometown brand and what I noticed was when I was talking to people about the coffee scene while I was out there in different shops it's the younger coffee drinker was way more excited about what's called the third wave style of coffee, which is what we roast at Folly and what I'm really into. And that basically means there, this is probably too much detail, but there's three waves of coffee. Oh, I love it. The, yeah, there's three waves of coffee in the US. The first wave is just your tin can gas station coffee, really cheap coffee, just literally bitter 
terrible. Second wave is Starbucks bringing specialty coffee, which is any coffee that's graded at 80 points or above at origin. And then the third wave of coffee is people like ourselves who are saying, let's source even higher quality coffee. Let's roast it lighter so that not only do you not get that bitterness, but that you're tasting the actual coffee itself versus that like bitter roast on a really dark roast. And that moment in Seattle really clicked something in my head where I go, oh, if people in Seattle are pumped about this, we're on the West Coast. I know that beverage trends tend to be 10 to 15 years behind, especially in the Midwest. Uh, and then that's when I started poking around the business side of it. And coming from craft beer, I noticed the growth trends of coffee and the high end were really, really similar to what happened to craft beer in the early 2000s. The number of coffee drinkers was remaining stable, but the amount people were spending was increasing. So I go, so people are looking for better coffee. And, you know, I'm at the time, I'm 26, single, no like real personal responsibilities. And so I did have to call up my parents uh, after I had the business plan all vetted out and say, hey, a key component of this thing potentially working is definitely can't afford to pay rent while I'm building out a business from scratch. And so uh, uh, my mom at Logo Jojo was like, yes, right away, yes. And then my dad needed a little more convincing to move <laughs> into their home as a 26-year-old, unexpectedly for them. Uh, but they graciously accepted the offer. And uh, so that's where I started. So I moved back, was working four jobs while building out the concept. And uh, yeah, we launched in January of 2018. Got it. So interesting, one little tidbit and there's a chance you know this guy did you ever you ever heard of that third wave water yeah the, uh, i've had him on my podcast okay so <laughs> you know what's what's funny about um and his name is taylor minor right mm -hmm. so taylor is his coffee shop was in cedarville ohio it was oh uh, no way yeah and and cedarville i went to cedarville university which is a baptist christian college in cedarville ohio about 20 minutes south of my world. hometown yeah so taylor and uh, his family actually owned quite a bit of the real, and I'm going to say downtown Cedarville. It, it's a really small, obviously very, very small place, but they owned a big building there and they had several businesses, one of which was, and I cannot, I can't remember the name of the coffee shop they had. It was a really neat little place. Uh, I had an ice cream shop and stuff, but I remember when Taylor went on um, Shark Tank, I think with Third Wave Water, right? Yep. And so, so yeah, so I thought maybe, and cause he was always saying like, people are always like, why? can't I get sort of coffee shop, coffee, coffee shop, coffee at home. And he was talking about a lot of it has to do with the filtered water. Yeah. At the coffee yeah, what, shops and some of when it. I, when I moved to the place I'm in now for my, my parents place had amazing water. So I never really thought about it. Then when I moved to my new place, super hard water. And when I moved in and started brewing coffee, here, I was like, why is our entire lineup tasting just off right now? It's just not tasting the same. And then that moment came and I go, Oh, okay. And now I'm strictly third wave water. <laughs> yeah. Now let me add, I'm just curious what you said you had him on the podcast. I think they, they like had a deal on the show, but it fell apart afterward, right? Like they didn't end up doing a deal or do you, do they, you did, know? they didn't end up doing the deal, but here's the funny thing about shark tank is even if the deal falls through the exposure you get from that show, he said every time that episode airs, he could tell you without knowing if it was on TV on their online sales, he could tell you if it was recently on, uh, uh if it was recently yeah. aired or not. I can I can imagine. So so even yeah, uh, even though there's no deal, it ended up making that business go them. through the roof. Yeah. 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 So tell me, just getting a little bit, you know, into detail about because I'm always curious about you said you decided to start the business. So you, you quit your job at Boston. And by the way, Boston Beer, 
that is the owner of the Sam Adams brand and the other brands that you mentioned, right? Is that? Yeah, that's Jim Cook who started Sam Adams. And so Boston Beer started as just Sam Adams, but they've shifted into other categories. So I listened to how I built this podcast. I don't know if you've ever listened to any of that stuff. Pretty much every episode. Every episode, yeah. (laughs) And obviously there's the one. I have always, what's so funny to me about Sam Adams is like, you know, he really was the guy who kicked off the the craft beer thing. And then he was going after the man. And then now like is the man. Essentially. Exactly. <laughs> that's kind of interesting how success I mean, it's literally what's that. happened to Starbucks when you think about it. Yeah, that, that's true. I'm not, yeah, I'm not going to sit back and say that Starbucks, wh- what Starbucks did allows me to do what we're now doing. It's, right. I'm not going to say that I enjoy their coffee, but I appreciate what they did, if that makes sense. Totally. Yeah. Um, all right. So when you started, talk, just tell me a little bit about like the, and you, I know you did a podcast episode about this, starting a small business yeah. and, you know, the funding side. And how did you fund it? I mean, it sounds like you just bootstrapped it while you were doing yeah. whatever you could to get it going. Yep. This, it was uh, bootstrapped from the beginning. Uh, it was so I ended up roasting with um, our head roaster, Ken, when we launched. Uh, um, he was out in Silver Lake, Minnesota. I met him at a farmer's market. And so by meeting him and having a facility that he, we were roasting in, that allowed me to not have to purchase any capital. And so really the only big spends at the beginning were building the brand, which I was able to do pretty cheaply because it was my sister's friend from college who did our entire brand guideline, including logo uh, and everything else involved with any of the imagery you see. And outside of that, it was really just like working towards the first big purchase of pre-printed bags, uh, the 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 coffee, obviously. And then everything after that was kind of just like staying ahead of the cash flow, making sure we're selling enough to buy the next batch of coffee, the next batch. And then now we're at the point where it's very real. And now we have to find the cash flow constraints. But when we launched, it was purely bootstrapped and it was just feet on the street sales. It was really just going back to what I was doing at Sam Adams. I, I joked with some of my old Sam Adams coworkers. I was like, I'm literally doing the same job. It just is coffee. And it happens to be, it happens to be my own business. But just knocking on doors, bringing samples to everybody that I possibly could. And uh, and who were the targets at that point? Was it your like retail or was it restaurant? Yeah, Same. my my background at Sam Adams, uh, I was very, very comfortable in grocery stores. And so the, when I was looking at how could I quickly establish a foot a foothold in the Twin Cities market, I was there's this great book called Blue Ocean Strategy. It's my favorite marketing book of all time. And the idea is that in the ocean, if there, if everybody's going after the same food, the same meat, that's the red ocean because there's blood in the water. Everybody's fighting after the same business. The blue ocean is where are people not focusing? How are, What strategies are they not using? And so I looked at this market and I identified grocery as a huge opportunity because there were only one or two high-end coffees at grocery in any sort of capacity. And especially at a larger scale, there were even fewer than that. So I go combining my background with grocery with the opportunities that present themselves here. That was the main focus right away. And so that was those were all the places I was contacting when I first began. So are you talking like, mom and pop grocery or are you calling on big chain grocery too? Everything, like and and- everything in between. Uh, yeah. So the independent stores, the co-ops, the chains and 
I got very fortunate that like it was like a friend of a friend of a friend knew somebody at one of the chains that has 20 plus locations. And I was able to talk to them before. So kind of a regional chain is what it sounds like, right? Like Yeah. So they've got okay. like 20 stores all in Minnesota. And I actually reached out to them before I launched and said, I would actually appreciate your feedback on where on the packaging and the branding. And is this something you could see yourself in the future selling? And so I was able to start discussions before we launched and that was hugely helpful. And they, they had some really good key points that I changed on the packaging. And to this day, people pointed out that that's a great addition. So it sounds to me like, and that's interesting to me is that you started out not really, because when most people think of a sales call, they think the first thing you did was, Hey, basically, would you buy my coffee? sounds like what you really did was like, Hey, I'm trying to develop a coffee that could be sold in a place like you. And I want feedback from you. Like, would you be willing to give me feedback? And a lot of times people like that better. And then you sort of can slide in once they get exposed to the product. Yeah, exactly. And I think one of the things I've learned along the way, and it was very easy for me to admit is that, hey, I've never worked in coffee. I know only what I've learned on in my own free time about this industry. And on the grocery side, I've been selling beer. So to think that you have the best idea and finalize it and then and then approach people and not allow anyone to potentially help you, I think is a mistake. And I mean, if you listen to how I built this or any other business books, you hear people saying like, it's never the first iteration that's going to be yeah. the final thing. So my goal was like, okay, how can I try to kind of pull on other people's uh, experience and knowledge in this industry? And Julie over at Lunds, which is this uh, grocery chain that we got into, she's been doing it for years. And so to get her advice was extremely valuable. And so it was like you said, it's kind of a nice sales call kind of first meeting because you're going, Oh, so, you know, if I put this on the packaging, would you maybe want to buy this? Right. (laughs) But also you're getting really good feedback. So it's very much that Eric Reese sort of MVP. That's, that's obviously been a strong theme. And I think in, in entrepreneurship and startups over the last several years is this idea of like, you know, create something, get feedback early and often and iterate and iterate and iterate. Um, yeah, exactly. Yeah, it makes sense. Um, and well, so let me back up. So how tell me about Folly. Why Folly Coffee? Like how did the brand and the name come about? Yeah. So uh, I wanted a name that tied me tied me and folly and everything to you know at the time it wasn't folly but i wanted this company to be closely tied to minnesota but not in a way that was like hey we're minnesota coffee company buy us because we happen to be in the same state you are and so i started doing a lot of research in minnesota history and one of we have this bridge in downtown minneapolis called the stone arch bridge and it's one of those things if you're from here you know it you probably took your prom photos there But if you're not from here, you'd never heard of it. I go, that's kind of a really cool, almost like inside thing. And I was reading the story about the Stone Arch Bridge. And there was a a railroad tycoon, James J. Hill, is the one that funded the building of that bridge. And when he was building it, everybody thought it was a terrible idea because it was so expensive. So they call it Hill's Folly. And I love that story. And then that word itself literally means a sense of foolishness. And I was like, what a perfect story and word to kind of encapsulate Hmm. what we're doing. And it fit perfectly into kind of the brand idea I had uh, because kind of much like grocery where I said, nobody's focusing on grocery. I looked at the existing branding of high-end coffee. And when I got into it, it was really intimidating. It was all marketed pretty much the same as like almost like a high-end wine, lots of really confusing terms on the bags. And so when I made the brand, I wanted it to be something that like was fun, approachable and like easy to understand, unlike a lot of the coffees that were on the market at the time. And so the, the name Folly just like fell perfectly into place. And then 
found my uh, sister's friend from college. Uh, and he did this. Basically, he said, send me 10 pages of brands that you like. Try to not make them coffee. I ended up sending him a lot of like EDM DJs. My brother's really into EDM. And like, so Steve Aoki has like this amazing branding. And I was like, I don't even really listen to this that much, but his logos, his branding. And then uh, I sent him all these different things. And he sent back, uh, took all of these things and created different concepts. And the, the thing that's now our logo, he had a very small sketch of that. And I was like, that, that right there, the bridge is built into the mouth of the logo. And we just, we just built it off the back of that. That's awesome. No, I, I love, yeah, I love it. I didn't, you know, it's cool to learn like, cause I, you know, what's funny. I mean, I know it looks like teeth, but now to know that it's a bridge, <laughs> you know, I mean, I guess in some of them, I see some of them here where it's like shaped a little differently, but just yeah, the, the, blue, yeah. the blue, our main blue logo, the bridge yeah. is the mouth. That's I love awesome. logos like that where you never see it, but then once you're told you can't unsee yeah. it. I, I love that phenomenon. And I'm looking over here to the right. I pulled up your website. So, and then when I'm yeah. looking down, I'm just taking notes just so it doesn't seem like yeah, I was wondering if you're yeah, uh, rude wondering or... if the, this leaf blower going on in the background. Of <laughs> no, no, I'm, I'm just taking notes to make sure that I, I stay on track. So, um, about the sourcing of the coffee. So initially you, you said building the brand out was the biggest expenditure. So I've always wondered, you know, if I decided today that I wanted to source coffee, like, you know, it's one thing to go around like you were and sort of like be what I would call like a connoisseur of coffee. Like you go into a particular town and you're like, Hey, where do you get the best cup of coffee? It makes me think of that scene from, um, was it elf? elf. Where he, <laughs> Congratulations. He yeah. But he blindfolds her and he says, take a drink. And then she's like, you know, what does that taste like? He's, she says a crappy cup of diner coffee. And he's like, no, it's the world's best cup of coffee. <laughs> exactly. Like, but so just the sourcing part, once you decided that you wanted to have a company with your own beans, you know, we all hear tons of stories about Starbucks and all the big companies and how they, you know, sustainably source or responsibly source these coffees from these farms and stuff. How do you do it as a small guy? So that was kind of the first thought I had when I go, oh, this is going to be a business. I go, I need to learn the entire vertical process or the vertical logistics of how this business works. And I was visiting back home on a, on a break and I literally just Googled Minneapolis coffee importer. And there's a lot of times in this business that I get just stupid lucky and I, I'm the first to admit it. And one of them happens to be that one of the country's best specialty coffee importers is based out of Minneapolis, Minnesota. <laughs> and so I, I didn't even know this. And so I went to their website, saw, oh, okay, there is an importer here. And I emailed and the owner emailed back. And I, so I assumed because the owner emailed back so quickly, this must be a nice little boutique, you know, not, little, not a big company, right? Like, yeah, just a little operation. So I was like, I, you know, honestly, I'm just looking to learn. I'm, I'm thinking about doing this. We're not, you know, I'm not going to buy any coffee now, but in the future, it's something I'm interested in. And he brings me out to their warehouse of coffee where they go through 8 million pounds of coffee greens a week. And I go like instantly, I'm like, why are you showing me around personally? But <laughs> uh, so we got, I got really fortunate. That was a huge advantage uh, initially because typically you have to source a full pallet of coffee, which is like 1270 kilo bags of coffee. And when you're selling, you know, five, six cases for the first yeah. couple months in business, that's way too much to be able to rotate and keep it fresh. But because they were there, I could literally drive my RAV4 over and pull it up next to the semis, put one bag of coffee in the back and be on my way. And they're a great importer because they have really great relationships with awesome farms. And one of the things I love about high-end coffee is you hear these terms all the time, fair trade prices, yep. you know, this is sustainably, economic, this and that. Organic. And 
Yeah, all exactly. Yeah. So all these terms that get thrown around so much that people really don't even know what they mean, but they know that they look for it. So what fair trade pricing is, it's an actual organization that certifies a coffee as fair trade priced. And so this organization will set the price of fair trade coffee. And if you buy coffee above that price, you can say that this is above fair trade pricing. And some are certified, some are not, but you know that price point. But the bottom line is, it sounds to me like it's just an organization that makes sure these guys get paid fairly for what they're exactly. producing, right? Exactly. They want to make sure that the, they're being paid fairly and that anything above that price is a level that the farms are going to be able to be economically sustainable based on the commodity pricing of coffee. So it's always above the commodity pricing. But that doesn't necessarily mean the farm is going to be like they're not going to be prospering off of that fair trade price. It's it can range anywhere between a dollar to a dollar 50 a pound and we're paying 3 4 5 times that price for our coffees. And so that's a nice byproduct of sourcing specialty coffee is because we're looking for better coffees, we end up paying more. And so Cafe Imports specializes in specialty coffee. So almost all of their coffees are going to be well above that fair trade price. And then the other side is because they have direct relationships with all of their farms that they're importing from, we know the standards and practices that those farms have in place before we buy coffee from them. Um, and so we we started off working primarily with them. And then last year, actually in 2019, we got to the size that we could start sourcing full pallets of coffee. And now we're beginning to form direct relationship with, uh, with farms. So like we just got a coffee in last month. It's our second year working with the Loma La Gloria farm in El Salvador. And that's where you really can get, you can dig into the practices and know that you're directly benefiting the farm and hopefully as we can grow form relationships that we can start to like basically build contracts for future purchases so that they can make investments into their farm into their community knowing that hey we're going to get paid for this farm that we or this coffee that we just planted uh and that's that's something that unfortunately you have to be of a certain size to do but that's kind of what we look for in the coffees we're sourcing is number one we want enough price transparency that we know everybody in this process is being ethically treated. But the second part is once that's established, then it's 100% about taste for us. Uh, Jeff, our head roaster, is a nationally ranked coffee taster. He will sample roast these samples that they send in, blind taste them, and not even knowing which coffee is which, that's how we choose our coffee mm. so that we don't let the biases of, oh, we really want to roast a Kenyan coffee this week we don't let that affect us because he's tasting them blind on the table. So, so just a side question. So I'm just curious, you, you currently, you've got the, the classic Joe, you've got the espresso and I can never remember what, what do you call the espresso? Yeah. How's uh, the SOB espresso? The SOB espresso. And so is there, as you go over time, while it's still the classic Joe and it's the SOB espresso, will that, that flavor profile change a little bit, but still be espresso, still be classic. Cause what it reminds me of what's, you know, I live in the heart of bourbon country in Louisville, Kentucky. And so it's funny, coffee and bourbon are very similar to where there's, you know, people that are just have incredible palates to be able to taste different things in bourbon. And then they, you know, if you're buying, say, a Four Roses single barrel or a Four Roses small batch, while that's that product, the the product will taste different over time based on the barrel that comes out of and things like that. So is that the case here where you could get little shifts over time but yeah. still be under the same product? Yeah. So what we do is we only buy from each farm about three to four months worth of inventory because everybody knows that you want to drink freshly roasted coffee. But a lot of the things or one of the things that people don't consider is you also want to make sure that that unroasted inventory coffee is also fresh. So we only keep about three to four months on hand at any time. And so 
we make sure that the flavor profile for each of our coffees stays within that. So if it's the espresso, we're looking for that dark chocolate, just a light fruity note. That's our espresso. So we'll rotate that origin and the subtle nuances will change, mm-hmm. but the overall profile will be the same. Got it. And so that's something that uh, I think bourbon's a great example that batches from year to year are going to change, even if it's the exact same mash bill, because exactly. the, the temperature different. There's so many factors that go into it. Uh, I mean, we can get the same coffee from the same farm in a different year and it could be wildly different. And so that's, that's how we're doing it. And that's why we blind taste to basically be like, all right, so for Classic Joe, we're looking for nutty, chocolatey coffees. Is this nutty and chocolatey? But not thinking like – it doesn't have to taste exactly the exactly same. Just, the same. Is this a nutty, chocolatey coffee? That makes sense. I got you. All right, so you got the logo. You've, you've found a place to source the coffee, and you said the biggest expense up front was building the brand. So talk me through a little bit about like once you had the logo and you, and you felt like you had a source for your coffee – and this is where I, I think what I mentioned earlier, a lot of respect from a distance is just how you go about. As a matter of fact, I've always had a lot of respect for guys like you who just and I even when I was listening to some of your podcasts, like just talking about uh, philosophy around posting on social media and stuff. And, you know, I I tend to be this hybrid guy to where I'm kind of like I, I can see good design. I can't do good design. I'm, I'm a little bit more wired like an operations guy. So every time I think of doing something, I tend to think about it as a process. And the problem, I think, with marketing is that if you put it into a process, and I think you mentioned this in the episode I listened to, it's like just post to post. I got to post on a Tuesday. I got to post on a Thursday. And whereas you, from what I gathered listening, it was like your view is like, no, man, we, we've got to be clear on what's the objective of our Instagram page, what's the objective of our Facebook page or the website or whatever it is, and then make sure that when we're doing things, we genuinely think there's an authenticity to it that we think it it's adding value. It's something that people that are a fan of our brand will appreciate. So tell me a little bit about how that started. Like, how do you start that from scratch? Yeah, uh, it kind of goes back to that blue ocean strategy of how do I how do I do it differently? How do I approach marketing in a way that is the opposite of how current competitors and even i don't even know if competitor is the word at this point in time but other high-end roasters what's the standard of marketing and instagram posting well i notice on instagram every and this is you know a, a generalization but almost every single roaster had a very similar instagram it's pictures of the coffee being roasted it's pictures of latte art on a latte it's pictures of you know the packaging and that's about it and i always thought that it was weird that like i always say that if you could take a post and put someone else's logo on it and that post still makes sense, I don't think that's an effective post because it doesn't differentiate your brand at all. Now, you could go to our Instagram page and pick that apart, and I'm sure you could find plenty of just coffee pictures. But hey, every once in a while, I take a coffee picture, and I go, that's just a sexy picture. I'm going to post it. But I try when we're posting to have at least one aspect of everything we post be distinctly folly. That could be as simple as the fact that Jeff is in the picture when he's roasting that it's you know the videos we do i try to get really stupid and funny while also trying to promote coffee because uh i I had a previous podcast with a guy that does some of our digital marketing and he had this really funny quote that i think about a lot that he goes nobody wakes up in the morning and thinks i wonder what target posted today (laughs) and that's for you know what i mean like that's for and that's for a reason is yeah. Target has a big following because they have such a big presence, but no one is seeking that content out. So I go, I wonder if I make myself look like an ass, how I can get someone to pay attention for three to five seconds. And so we started doing a bunch of stupid videos, but like all centered around coffee. And that's kind of how we started to build our following. And 
it's it's a it's a fine line between being like only that and not focusing enough to where people might lose sight on the fact that you really are focusing on a high quality product. So you kind of need to keep that balance of making sure that we're getting the message across about our process, our roasting process, how we choose our coffees, while also we also understand people aren't seeking that out when they wake up. So we got to do stuff that makes people want to hop over to the page and see what we're up to. Yeah. So it's like, it sounds to me like a couple things come to mind. So where I've always struggled, and I think this is a big part of our brand and we use the word all the time is authenticity. Like I, I can only be what I am. Right. And you, I, you're definitely wired. I think we're wired differently and you're wired, I think to do some of those videos like that, you know, and it, it always feels like if I got, yeah. if a guy like me tried to go do that, it would just feel fake because it would be, cause it's just not how I'm built. And so I have to figure out ways around it and, and to do things that are authentic, but sort of authentically me, which is part of the reason I'm doing this podcast. Cause this is very much, I think me asking questions, learning, you know, all of that. Um, but what it sounds like is like you're doing something to get attention, but you want to make sure that you're sort of Trojan horsing in. Once I get their attention, I want them to know, but Hey, by the way, we're serious about quality coffee and we understand it. And we're experts. And it's not just, we're not just slapstick. We're, we're having a great time. We're building a great company, but we're also really, really good at what we do. <clears throat> yeah. And I think that's a really, I think authenticity is a great word. And it's not something that you can fake. People are very, very intuitive about authenticity and being able to sniff out when somebody is not being themselves. They're doing this because they feel like they have to because this is the standard. The way I like to put it is not only just focus on what you're best at, but also what qualities do you as a person, do you as a business, what qualities do you have that are the most different than any other business, especially when you're a really small business like we are. So I have to go, well, does a picture of a coffee roaster, does the fact that we roast coffee differentiate us from other coffee roasters? Absolutely not, because that's literally what every coffee roaster does. So I go, okay, well, I'm not going to just post pictures of coffee every time because everybody does that. And I go, well, the fun aspect of our brand, the approachability of our brand is fairly unique within this industry. So I go, that's something that I need to lean into. And then I go, okay, so if approachability is what I'm looking for. What do I enjoy? What are unique qualities of this brand and of my personality that I can incorporate into it? And I go, well, like you said, I'm pretty wired and these videos are funny to me and I don't mind making myself look really stupid all the time. And so that's something I've leaned into uh, as we build this brand out. And it's been really fun to incorporate uh, Jeff as he, he's become a bigger part of the business because our personalities are so wildly different uh, that it's... we. We make we uh, our joke is that are you familiar with Jay and Silent Bob? Yes. Yep. We joke that we're basically Jay and Silent Bob. That it's just always Jeff in the videos, like not talking, and then me just like in your face talking about something. And so it's uh, kind of funny to almost. uh, I basically say that the uh, the Folly Instagram is like our personalities turned up to eleven. Like I promise, (laughs) I'm not like that all the time. But I also understand that you have to like play it up. You have to play into what you do to just capture attention on something like yeah. a social media platform where it's so, such a fast process. So the way that we've been talking about it internally, as I say, you know, my view on our marketing plan is that I, I recognize every customer out there is not my customer. And what we've got to do at a high level for the Goodson marketing efforts is to make sure that we communicate really well. Our personality is the way that we, we've been talking about it internally. Like, who are we as a company? And then underneath that, the individual personalities need to be able to communicate who they are individually. And we do that because we want people who encounter us to be in sort of that, um, you know, start with why Simon Sinek kind of thing. People 
like to do business with people who are of like mind. And so it's a little bit like I got to do a really good job of communicating who we are as a company, who we are as individuals, so that when people encounter us, they can go, okay, that's a place I'm of like mind. I think we'll, we'll do really well together. And that's been kind of the shift in what we're trying to do. And that's one reason I'm doing the podcast is I want people to be able to listen to this and get an idea of who I am and how I think as the owner of the business and things like that. So, yeah. And that's, and just even looking at your website, I've looked at it a few times now, obviously, since we, uh, since before we met almost a month ago now. And I think the industry in a standard like this is just, here's all of our stuff. Do you want it or not? You know, like here, just make it as easy as possible. Everybody has the stuff, buy it from us. But when you go to your website, it's not the case. The catalog is the, the I mean, the, the catalog is the standard in the industry and you literally have it on your website that says never look through a catalog again. And so instantly I'm like, oh, that's interesting because everybody else is just like, here's our catalog. Do you want to buy our stuff or not? And it kind of takes the industry and kind of turns it on its head that you go, we're actually don't, we don't want you to look through a catalog, which at first is like, well, don't you want to offer just that ease of use for your customer? And you go that that's, if that's the number one thing our customer is considering, that's not our customer. And that's probably not a good customer to have because if it's a catalog that's keeping them in your book of business, then the second a better catalog comes along with cheaper prices, you lose that customer. And I I think about our customer base the same way that I go, if you're a Folgers drinker and that $6 price point, is going to be your determining factor. You're just never going to be a customer of ours, and that's fine. And so, we're if the price is your number one determining factor on how you're choosing which coffee you're going to drink, you'll never be our customer. But if quality and flavor profile is your number one, then we want to talk. We want you to be our customer. We want to work with right. you. And so, uh, I, I get a very similar feel from yours that it's like right away you go. The promotional products industry sometimes is a race to the bottom in pricing and quality. And so this is something I look at and I go, oh, this is clearly a business that they are not interested in, in having that conversation. Right. And so I am curious. That's a good that's an excellent segue into what I wanted to talk about next. So you grew up, your mom was a distributor like me. So you grew up around the industry. What's your dad do? Uh, my dad started. Uh, uh, <laughs> this is so embarrassing because I <laughs> should have a really good description of what he does, but <laughs> I love you, Dad. But it, it's like as far away from my interests as possible. He started a, a, a an energy management business, so they basically. Uh, my understanding is that a company would hire his business to manage their natural gas and electric, and so uh, he was able to build a really great business when the economy was down. They would get hired to save money, and then if they did a good job, yeah. they would keep keep that business and grow. Um, I'm sorry if that was, if no, it makes uh, sense. There's a company, there's a company here in Louisville. Probably yeah. There's actually a company here in Louisville (laughs) that I know that I'm familiar with that got bought by Schneider electric that kind of started out that same way. Um, so anyway, tell me since you grew up around the industry that I'm in and obviously you didn't go into it and your mom was in it and now has jumped over to the supplier side. What was it like growing up with, you know, your parent, your, your mom was in this industry and what was your perception of the industry the entire time she worked in it? Yeah. So, uh, she started it when I was, uh, so she, she basically raised us until we were of a certain age. I want to, I mean, memory's terrible, but I want to say maybe I was 
somewhere around 10 years old. And so when you're that age, I don't think you're aware enough to realize that it's like, oh, I'm starting a business. And you just go, okay, I guess that's something parents do. Right. Uh, and so she's building this business and like more or less uh, I'm going, oh, so you like put logos on stuff. Okay. <laughs> like and That was my understanding of the industry. Right. Uh, now digging into it on the supplier side, it's like, oh, th- there's a reason that we couldn't just get into it ourselves. And so she built this business based on uh, like creative processes around the industry, not just here's our stress balls. Do you want a logo on it or not? But hey, what is your business? What are you trying to communicate to your customers? Or if it's like a you know a big conference, how do you want to stick out from the competition and providing creative solutions for those customers as opposed to just saying, oh yeah, we here's our catalog. What do you want? How many do you want to buy? Because that's just, yeah. So that's, that was kind of my perception of it as I got older is that was the kind of the difference maker was like finding what were the uh, innovative trends? What were the upcoming trends in the industry and kind of leaning into that? No, that's, that's, that's good. So, and then tell me a little bit about then. So, so here you are, you're running folly. I think your mom said, as I remember her saying that she, did she find a buyer or did somebody within the company decide to take it over and she decided to try to do the the logo Jojo thing? Yeah, so she sold uh, – her partner bought her out of her Got half it. of the business and is now running uh, her business uh, – that business with her daughter. And uh, then it, this is when my mom approached me with the idea of what is now Logo Jojo that she came to me and said, uh, I'm looking at the promotional products industry, specifically coffee. And there are very, very, very few suppliers offering it. And the ones that are offering it, it tends to be, I, you know, I turned her into a bit of a coffee snob through folly. And she says, I don't even know what this coffee would be if I did get it. I don't know where it's being roasted. I don't know how it's being roasted. I don't know what the process, all this stuff about the coffee just remains a mystery. And uh, so she said, I think there's a major opportunity for high end coffee within this industry. And so I was admittedly uneasy because I'm like, I know working with, you know, you hear the family dynamic of working with parents or working with family members. And so initially I was just very much like, uh, let's be really careful about this. But as I looked around the industry, I go, this is actually a very, very good idea. There's very few competitors and the relationship that we would have in a business sense is all I would be focused on is making sure that we're roasting the best coffee to go in these bags. And then she, using her 15 plus years of industry experience, can do all the things that make me uncomfortable in terms of label design, communicating to the customers, making sure everything logistically is being produced, shipped, proofing, all this stuff that like I I tried one time. Somebody, hey, can I get a thousand bags of private label coffee? And when you're a small business, you don't say no to anything. And I I ended up having to say no to this order because it seemed so simple. Oh, you just want this and blah, blah, blah. And then all of a sudden you go, okay, there's 18 proofing steps and I have to hire a designer. And then all of a sudden, well, shoot, they need a thousand bags, but I have to order 5,000 of these generic bags to be able to do it. And so I just eventually I had to say like, I'm sorry, I can't do this to a level that I'm happy with. And so she basically using her years of experience on the distributor side, knowing how all of these things work is able to take care of that part of the business to make sure everything is placed on time. Labels show up on time. It looks awesome. And then we're roasting the coffee to make sure that the coffee they're drinking is awesome. And so it's been a really awesome relationship. I am overusing that word, but it really is uh, that everybody's been really happy 
with the orders they're receiving. You guys get to do what you're best at, which is take care of the coffee, create a great product, and she gets to do what she's best at, which is just take care of all the all the industry stuff that 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 our industry requires. Yeah, that seems sometimes so simple at a surface level, but I say it all the time, man. I, I'm like, everybody sees a coffee cup and they see a logo on it and they go, that's simple enough. And I said, there's like 35 pieces of information that had to be correct to get that thing done right. Exactly. Tell me this. How do you use swag, like, you know, branded clothing and promotional items, building Follies brand? Yeah, uh, my thought process on that has shifted quite a bit. Because uh, when we first launched, I obviously had a connection at a at a distributor that could get us sure. really good pricing on merch, which was my mom. And so we had every piece of merch you could possibly imagine. And at first, I th- that was good because honestly, we sold very little of it, but I was using it just to give to customers. And so we ended up dialing way back on the merch side to focus the website purely on coffee. But what I've realized is it's almost more valuable to have these merchandise and items to give to people than it is to actually try to sell them to your customers. And what I mean by that is like now I'll just always have things on hand that if we have someone come by the roaster to taste coffee, here's like a mug that you literally only get if we give it to you. Here's a shirt that is not released to the public. And that helps us build relationships with customers, but then also uh, I, I believe my mom calls it share of desk. She always likes items that you get a share of their desk because that's where they are every yep. day. And so some, right. something like a coffee mug is a perfect example that you go, if I give them their new favorite mug, it's going to be on their desk every day. And that's a key point is I used to, when looking at these things used to be like, oh, whatever's the cheapest that I can give away the most of. But I'm at the point now that if I had to spend a hundred dollars I would rather spend $100 on 10 awesome items than buy 100 crappy items because 100 crappy items, they're going to take it. Okay, it says folly. Either throw it away or set it somewhere and then throw it away later versus if you give them an awesome item like a great mug or something like just really high quality item that they'll actually use, those 10 people, it's going to be exposed. Your brand is going to be on their desk. It's going to be a part of their life in a much bigger way than like a cheap item and just tossing it. To your point, I ask my customers sometimes, they'll say, hey, Landon, I want to do a you know a Tumblr to give away to my employees. And I'll say, okay, let me ask you a question. What Tumblr do you take with you every day? And nine times out of 10, it'll be, oh, you know, I've got a Yeti or I've got a Contigo or I've got a, you know, whatever. And I'll go, okay, how much you want to spend on this for your employees? And they'll say like five, you know, $5 or something. And normally I'm like, look, I leave my house every day. I have a coffee cup and I have a water jug, water cup of some kind. And if I give them something, what I'm what I'm asking them to do is I'm asking them to make the decision. Am I the primary or am I the backup exactly. or am I going in the trash? And so, you know, I definitely see trends in our industry where more and more people are thinking like you think. And, and, and I always say it, your mom's statement about share of desk, I think, is, is solid. Share of life is like what we talk about a lot because it's like, what are they carrying? Like my cup, am I carrying it with me? Is it a Tervis? Is it a is it a Yeti? Whatever. Um, but people are trending definitely down to lower quantities, higher quality and, and brands. And, um, and, and that, so that's, you know, when we say never look through a catalog again, that's a big part of what we do is try to help them curate that kind of stuff. But that's a definite trend. And I agree with it wholeheartedly because I'm like, if I'm going to spend money to put my logo on something, give it to somebody, I definitely want it to be quality. Yeah. And that's the way I put it is so like we have these mugs that we just give out to friends, family, customers, just people we're close with or just whatever. And every time I give it to somebody, I go, here's your new favorite travel mug. 
And I say that completely unironically, like they're, they're just these really great mugs. And I know if I give it to somebody, Hey, here's your new favorite travel mug, knowing that they're going to yep. use that thing almost every day when they're out and about. And so that's a great way to put it a share of life that when I think about merchandise, uh, we do sell, and this is a great example. Uh, we have a local supply. We have a local um, mug maker here called Deneen. They hand make mugs. And he I think I'm looking at it on your Instagram right here. Is it that yep. bluish mug? With, exactly. Yeah. And so he contacted me for really a neat. while. He contacted me for a while and I was just like, man, these mugs are really expensive. I don't know if that's something that, you know, do our customers, I'd rather sell more of a cheaper mug and we sell more of the expensive mug than we sold of our cheaper mugs. Because when somebody buys a mug, they want to buy their new favorite mug. And I go, that's such an interesting like realization I had. And I did email him. I was, I, I called him and I go, all right, I love, I actually love having my mind change because you were right. And I was wrong. Like we're now a lifelong customer. And uh, I think that's just a great lesson to learn is you go, our customers that are drinking Folly coffee, our price is not their number one determining factor in probably their choices in most things, unless it's like a commodity type product. Right. But with something like a mug, it's almost like an investment. You go, this is something I might use every single morning. I want it to be something that brings me a little spark of joy in the morning or just is cool to look at or nice to hold or whatever it may be. And that was a big learning moment for me is uh, ever since that happened, it's kind of how I think about any sort of merchandise, whether it's giveaways or things we're selling that I go, all of our stuff needs to be in line with that, that it needs to be super high quality and somebody's new favorite X, Y, or Z. Well, and I would say too, with you guys being a craft coffee, I think the idea of the mug being a craft product makes a lot of sense. Again, exactly. you know, this this whole sort of continuum of marketing where everything that you do is this subtle reinforcement of the brand overall. And, you know, so it's it's definitely like when I look at I'm on your webpage now and I was just kind of and I was looking at the coffee cup. I mean, it definitely to me just visually supports the brand. And, exactly. Uh, yeah. And so the last question I we're up against it, we're getting close so i try to keep it 45 minutes so i want to be respectful of your time tell me a little bit about just what are the plans for the future for folly what what's uh, how many people are you guys how, how many employees do you have <laughs> technically two it's me and jeff <laughs> yeah no that's you know we've got three so um but tell me what what's like what's the future for you guys how what are you pushing for to for for growth well we actually just launched a hot sauce uh in early january coffee hot sauce which i know okay. sounds crazy but that uh that was something that came out of just last summer when covid hit we wanted to create more creative content and so a uh, buddy of mine's a really talented chef let's make an episode about cooking with coffee we made a coffee hot sauce and just like when i had that first cup of coffee i tasted and i go i've never tasted something like this before long story short found a co-packer distributor launched in january now we're in stores across the twin cities which is awesome it's still surreal so that's been a really fun line extension in a weird way uh, but in terms of the coffee side the online side has been awesome for us as more people are drinking coffee at home. We're really fortunate to have some amazing partners here locally that a couple people are going to be opening a couple new cafes this year that we are going to be partnering with. And there's a few more people we're in discussion with. So as things are opening back up from COVID, uh, we're finding some opportunities to partner with new awesome cafes, restaurants. And, uh, and then outside of that, it's just uh, – really just being flexible and making sure that we're staying in line with roasting the best coffee, but seeking any new opportunities as they arise. And that's kind of the benefit that a small business can have is being flexible and being adaptable. And that's, that's what allowed us to get through last year. And I'm confident. I think that's what will be our, our continued growth in the future. Yeah, man, it's, it's awesome. Um, I love the brand. 
I love the product. I really do. And I'm not just saying that. I, a matter of fact, I meant to tell you this. Uh, we got an email from one of the folks that got samples that your mom so generously sent to us. And uh, his name's Kevin DeFore. He's a client that joins our partner series, which you were a part of. And he was on that one. And he, he, he reached out and he said, hey, Lanny, he said, I finally got a chance to try the coffee. And he's like, my wife and I, we just we really genuinely love it. And so um, so kudos to you. You're definitely creating, I think, a really good product. So I just um, saw that name. I just saw that name pop up on our orders that are being roasted. Today. OK, so, yeah, so he, <laughs> he bought something. That's good. So at least we yeah. did something there. But hey, thank you again for your time. Um, I do want to anybody listening to this follycoffee.com is the is the website and then instagram looks like it's just folly at coffee, coffee at folly coffee and yep. uh great content out there uh as i mentioned many times i admire the way you guys go about building your brand and i'm definitely going to be reaching out to you um i would i would love to talk to you offline too just about you know the possibility of getting some of your feedback on some of the marketing things we're doing because i do think you know so highly of what you guys are what guys are doing with your brand so um can't thank you enough for your time i appreciate it 